0: Invite you now to join our conversation, an instrument of healing, as we share how each of us can grow through times of illness, grief, and loss. Our wish is through these words, you will discover a healing community that promotes insight, reignites hope, and nurtures peace. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, hi.
1: (laughs) I'm like, I love how you say welcome.
0: Maybe I should let you start next time.
1: Oh, I just you welcome Jeffrey. Intro. Okay, do it. Do it now. Okay, today. Okay. You guys just heard the practice. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Jeffrey Cloninger. I am Kelly Grosslogs, your co host for the Conversations with Kelly podcast. And with me in Studio B, which, by the way, is a capital B E, meaning to just be with where we are at in our life right now. Be with us, be with each other, be with yourselves. We are in studio B and I have the wonderful Jeffrey Kloninger who is the producer of our podcast right here with me. Hey, so welcome.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great be to be here. Be here. Capital B-E.
1: Yes, get, be here. And we have our we are surrounded with beautiful green plants that symbolize life and possibilities. And it's just it's a beautiful space to record. So welcome to all of you for and thank you for joining us. We are rolling along with the topics you've asked us to talk about, and today we are talking about anticipating the loss or anticipatory grief. Um, Many people do not realize, actually, that grief can start long before the actual ending of something. Yeah, so
0: what do we mean when we say anticipatory grief?
1: So you're anticipating an expected loss. You are getting a divorce. You are possibly having part of your body surgically removed you are moving away to another state or country you're changing jobs you're caregiving for an, a sick loved one those are just some examples but you know the loss is going to occur
0: bottom line change is coming yes change is
1: coming so we are we anticipate and we we go through our grieving experience well before it actually ends. And so we're going to, let me, I want to use the example today of caring for a loved one who's ill, because I think that's the majority of the people that tune in. But certainly apply it to your life if you're going to be moving or getting a divorce or um, possibly, you know, maybe you're having a mastectomy or a limb amputated from disease, whatever that may be. It's, It's knowing that the attachment to something as you know it is going to change.
0: Oh, that's the best definition I've heard so far. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I just came up with that. I mean, I didn't didn't come up with that, but it just came to me. It freely flowed. Freely flowed. And so you're caregiving for your loved one right now. And you are likely, I mean, the caregivers I've worked with, Jeffrey, in these anticipatory grief moments, it's such a struggle because you want to be so ever present to that they are still alive and yet you are sobbing and weeping and angry because they're not going to be here and so it's this balance of continuing to live in the fu- living in the future and yet trying to come back and live right now and you know i think allowing space for all of it is what's important and you know i've i've seen I've seen people that are living with the disease, um, the ones who are dying, I've seen them say, I'm not dead yet or come on. And I, and I and I can understand that because also when you are the one dying, you're having major anticipatory loss. Absolutely. that you're going to be missing things. You're going to be disconnected um, from the life that you know and that you love and that you cherish. But I've seen many of my patients have said... I mean, I'm not dead yet, and so stop getting sad. Stop spending time. And I think, you know, I understand why we say that. I will say that if your caregiver is going through that, allow that as an opportunity for you to join them and to have discussions. And I think, you know, there is a difference between an expected loss and the time that we do get to say goodbye and to have rituals and to do forgiveness work and express gratitude and express love to the unexpected death or the tragic immediate ending. Um, It's not as if grief is any shorter, if you will, if you had an, if you were expecting the loss, but much of our grief work starts long before the actual end.
0: Yeah. And you know, I've had anticipatory grief with respect to my cat. And I know that's not yeah. the example we're using here, well, but he was sick. And, and You're a caregiver. And I'll say this, it made the actual loss easier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because I did a lot of front work on it. Mm-hmm. The front work was the grief. Not to say I didn't have grief after he died. Right? We still do. Absolutely. I still do. Yeah. Um, but the acute event of his death was easier.
1: Mm-hmm. For you. For me. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. In my example. Right? right.
0: Good point. Good point. Not everyone's going to have the same experience as I am.
1: Right. But no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I also remember walking through that with you and with Mr. B, like, they're, you know, then sometimes people feel guilty because there might be a moment where they're like, I just wish this would be, get done with. Like, I just wish it would happen already. That's also very normal. You know, in anticipatory moments in grief we are brought to the corners of our world that are so intense, like things we've never experienced before because we're trying to be true to what is and we're trying to enjoy every minute of what is and yet these are very these are moments of suffering. These are moments where we don't wanna see the person or our animal that we love suffer. And so it's, it's okay in anticipatory grief if you have moments like, just be done with it already. And I want you to know that that's really natural. That's really normal. When that can come back and bite you is two years down the road when you start, you're not maybe at your best, you're tired and you think, why did I say that? That made them die. That made, and all these kind of magical thinking things that can happen in grief where we attach these unrealistic situations and make them real. Like us saying that actually caused them to die sooner. No, that's not true. And so we will be better caregivers, we, we will be healthier humans if we allow ourselves to have space for all of it. You know, and anticipating a loss, though I do hope if you're listening today and you're caregiving and somebody you love is dying, that you will take the moments and not worry about the small things around, like the dishes and all of these things, you know, that or getting that deck painted, or whatever, that you will take a minute right now to pause. Just pause. Call that person. Go to their bedside. Take them out for lunch, whatever it may be. And we do those four things. We, we ask for forgiveness on things that we've hurt them on. We tell them we're sorry for things we've hurt them on. We thank them. We thank them. And we give specific things. I want to thank you for all those years that you made cookies with me or whatever it may be. And then we say, I love you. And I'll tell you, those are four life-changing, moment-changing experiences. And we talk with them very openly about how we're going to remember them. They talk openly to us about how they want to be remembered. And those are very, very sacred things. And just know that... These are things that are going to carry us forward. And unfortunately, this is where it can get really hard when our medical system doesn't talk openly with people about how long they have to live, because we are robbing people then of those opportunities. If they really think they have another two years to live and they might only have another two months, we're robbing them of that opportunity to have these important conversations. And to do things like cards and draw pictures and take pictures and make videos. And that's all part of anticipatory grief. Again, I know it gets old saying it, but the both and. Both being very sad in that moment and still really enjoying them. We're actually capable of that. I did write in my book a segment about um, being remembered. And Jeffrey, I love listening to you read. So would you mind reading? That paragraph for us?
0: Not at all. It's from Chapter 3 of A Comforted Heart, which is titled The Power of Love, and this is called How Will We Be Remembered? I've had many conversations with people about their fear of being forgotten once they have died. People living with terminal illness are often excellent teachers on how to better live our lives. I see them as living with more intention, gratitude, and letting go of what doesn't matter anymore. When my patients talk about the fear of being forgotten, I ask them to reflect on how they are living now. Are there apologies that need to be given? Is there forgiveness that needs to happen to free up their spirit? Are they being kind? Are they sharing love and taking the time for the relationships that matter most to them?
1: Mm, thank you. You're welcome. So that is a beautiful thing to think about, and we can, we can turn the tables on... Um, The caregivers are the people in people's lives. But absolutely, as people are living with terminal illness, there is much anticipation about what they're not going to be present for. And they, they think a lot about, did I matter? Did my purpose get lived out? Will I be forgotten? All of those things. And that's an opportunity for those of you that are loving someone through this illness to sit down and tell them exactly those things that I will always remember this about you and state it that I will continue to live in your honor. And you know, the people that are dying have, I mean, the common themes, the two common themes that we've talked about before, it's worth repeating. They do not want to be forgotten, but they want the people they love to continue living. And so you do that in tandem, you honor them and you continue to live like that It's a right to grieve, but it's also a a right for us to still feel happiness and to feel joy. And the count, we all know, I mean, I've had years of experience at the bedside, the countless stories I've heard, I started realizing there's a theme to my conversations with people. And that was one of them is that, Kelly, make sure that people know in my life that I am giving them permission to keep living. And I'll say, I want you to tell them that. And they say, I've tried, but I get shut down with them. Don't talk like that, dad. You're not going to, you know, you're going to be here forever. And don't talk like that. And I think that's in our anticipatory moments, there's many opportunities. And yes, it's hard. And yes, we sit, but we also have to, we have to embrace the opportunities that come.
0: I've been thinking about this a lot. Anticipatory grief to me is an invitation to be curious about what is really happening, Mm -hmm. right? It's sort of a moment that says, yes, I'm not feeling great. I'm grieving what's going to happen. But at the same time, yes, we know in this example of someone with a terminal illness that they will ultimately die. What we don't know, and yet we still have an opportunity to shape with them, is how they die, Yes, right? And so here we sit in this anticipatory grief, on one hand, we could sit there and make up all these stories about what is going to happen or what right. isn't going to happen. And that's not, to me, that's not the point. The point is, is, or the invitation is, let's use this as an opportunity to say, how should
1: it happen? Yes, absolutely. And how do we together live until you die? Or how do we, you know, how do I enjoy this um, this moment, even knowing that there's part of my brain that's trying to hijack it right now with, oh my gosh, next month, I won't have this, you know? And I think that's where we just have to really be gentle with ourselves. And we are very good at living in the future. It's yep. it's just yep. one of our specialties as a human race. And so, <laughs> and it always, almost always leads to anxiety. And so we have to pull back. We do want to acknowledge. I mean, when I'm working with people in anticipatory grief, grief, I will say, tell me your worst fear about what it's going to be like when this happens. Because this isn't something they can often tell people, anyone. And so that's the beautiful thing about seeing a therapist is you really can say whatever you need to say without the inhibitions or you should be able to. Yeah. And
0: again, gets it outside of you.
1: Yes. And so I'll say, tell me. What is the scariest thing? And then they tell me. And then what we come up with is that may or may not happen. It may or may not happen when you get to it and it is happening. What have you done in the past in your world when something feels really scary? What have you done? Well, I've called the people at my synagogue and I've gone out for lunch. I've you know, um, gone out with the people I love. And I'll say, okay, so we do know that that could happen. The scariest thing could happen when this person dies. We also know that you have within you some kind of reserves and some kind of tools that are going to help you in that space. It doesn't mean that those are, that the intentions of those are to make the pain go away. It's to help carry you through those experiences. And so, You know, I will say that the people, my experience, Jeffrey, one of the the greatest things that I've gotten to do in my career is to help bridge the person that's dying with the people that love them and to help bridge these conversations because we're actually having the same conversation but in two different rooms and not with each other. So the caregivers are having it with me, the patients who are, the people who are dying are having it with me, and there's so many common themes, and I'm like, Okay, one of my jobs would then be to bridge those conversations.
0: Absolutely, and you're good at it.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, it's it's because one conversation can change the trajectory of a person's bereavement. One conversation can change the dying of a person. It truly can. And it does not have to be in-depth, poetic, philosophical conversations. It certainly can be simply profound, like sitting there and saying, Mom, I know we have not always gone along. And I know that I sometimes would go away for long periods. And I know this, that, and the other. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry. And I want to tell you that when I, when I remember you, I am always going to think of how you were the person, no matter what hat was going on, that I felt the safest with and I called and I want to thank you for that. And I want you to know, I love you.
0: How beautiful and how simple. And it goes back to those four mantras you were sharing yes. earlier. You just hit two of them. Yeah. Isn't the three that of true? Them.
1: And then, and then maybe that, and that, so then I've the reversed it. So then I've worked with the people who say they're on their dying bed and they'll say, I know I wasn't always the best mother, or I know sometimes I did things that pushed you away for a long time and you know and so there can be a lot of uh, here's the bottom line take the opportunities in the anticipatory grief phase to get to the heart of the matter because with also with anticipation of a loss coming there is the reality of we don't understand time, we don't know time we don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, we don't know if it's going to be next year, we don't know if it's going to be in three years with surgery we know we know that okay, it's scheduled for next week. You're going to have, you know, your prostate removed, and that's going to change your life, and whatever that may be. But with the anticipation of a death, you know, we have some time frame, but we don't really know. It's not inked. No, it's not finite. It's not. And Gosh, so,
0: it's, so much of this is about being present. That is,
1: and boy, is it ever a challenge to be present to something that hurts so badly, right? And so, but do it together. Right Now, if you are caring for someone and they're not responding um, because they are either in a coma or they're closer to death, you still can do these these things with them. Because as you've learned um, through our other podcasts, that out of the senses when the body is dying, we know that hearing is the last. We also know that touch is still present. And so people can feel you and they can hear you. Mm. They may not be able to see you. Um, as well.
0: It doesn't mean don't try.
1: Right. And so please talk. Please don't think, oh, I lost my opportunity. I can't believe it. We even, you know, know that sometimes when people are in an ICU setting and they come out and they're like, I remember hearing that. Tell them, I love you. You know, apologize for things. What are you going to remember about them? But remind them you love them because that's what we're going to draw on in our bereavement, we're gonna go back and we're gonna draw on the times that we said, those things that mattered most. And so, yes, it, it hurts. It hurts like hell. It's so scary to caregive, It's so scary to watch somebody we love leave us day by day. But please know that you have been given an opportunity here. You have been given an opportunity. And for those who are dying, You deserve the opportunity to be heard and to not be forgotten and to be honored. So, my love to all of you in this phase, and just know that you can do hard things.
0: Thank you for listening to this CWK podcast. It's our hope that these words bring comfort, healing, and insight to your life, wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing. Please subscribe and share this episode. You can also follow and like Conversations with Kelly on Facebook. One quick note, we've done our best to share some ideas, tips, and techniques to help guide you. This podcast's content is not intended to be a substitute for or constitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to seek professional medical advice if needed. Thank you.